Hey, good morning. How are we doing? Good, good. Hey, thanks for being here this weekend. If you're uh, watching us online, thanks for joining us as we continue this series, Five Easy Ways to Wreck Your Life. So um, one easy way, one effective way that I've found to uh, wreck a life is to take the wrong advice, right? Have you, ever, have you ever found yourself thinking, I should not have listened to that guy, or I should not have watched and taken that infomercial so seriously, right? Or maybe I should have listened to that person. Um, Taking the wrong advice or rejecting the right advice can uh, set you back in a lot of ways, or it could even change your life. Let me give you an example. Back in the day, I was single, and I didn't like being single, so I was dating. And I'm going to be honest, I don't know how to date. I don't like it. I don't know how to do it. And um, I thought it was stressful. I thought it was frustrating. And I didn't like that phase of life. So if you're in the dating phase of life, I feel for you. Okay, and I'm going to pray for you. And if you're someone who's like, I love dating, that's weird, and I'm going to pray for you too. So I'm dating, and usually, usually things didn't last more than like a couple dates because at that point, I would either find something that annoyed me or I would realize it wasn't going anywhere, but usually I was just dumped. So I'd been dating this girl for like, for like three or four dates, okay? And it was going really well. We talked on the phone a lot. We really clicked, and things were going smooth. She was cute. She didn't like... Uh, have an annoying voice. She didn't have cats. It was perfect, okay? And, she, and I hadn't scared her off yet. So I'm thinking, this is, this is going really well. But one night, we're talking, and, and she says what you don't want to hear. I think we should maybe just, just be friends. Well, I didn't know what to do. I'm devastated. I really like this girl, so I do what anyone does. They call their best friends, and they get advice, right? So I call my friend Jason, my buddy Jason. I explain the whole scenario. And I'm like, I really like her. It's been going really well. I don't know what happened. What do, what do I do, Jason? Jason is one of my best friends from college, okay? So we've been through all the highs and lows of college. We, uh, we graduated. We were both single after college, and so we had a lot of stories in common about rejection. We had each other's backs. This is, this is my bro, okay? So Jason goes, Andy, kick her to the curb. Get rid of her. You don't need her. She don't want you, she doesn't deserve you. And I'm listening to this, and I'm like, yeah. Yeah, that's right, she doesn't, right? And in the background, I hear his girlfriend freaking out. Like, who are you talking to? Right, like, what are you telling him? Let me talk to him. So I get on the phone with Jason's girlfriend, Diana. Right? And Diana explains it all. She, she's like, do you really like this girl? I'm like, yeah. Is she normal? Is she a keeper? Is she worth, you know, waiting for? I'm like, sure. She's like, well, then just give her some space. Give her some time and then ask her out again. I'm like, I can do that? Yeah, you can do that. So I'm like, okay, here's where you have to decide. Whose advice am I going to take, Jason's or Diana's? So here, let, let me just ask you, who would, who would go with Jason's advice? Kick her to the curb. A couple of you? Okay. <laughs> who would go with Diana's advice? Okay, so you have Jason, my bro, and you have Diana, a woman who probably understands women. So I went with Diana, okay? I took her advice, waited a couple weeks, and then this thing popped up. And so I was like, hey, do you want to come with me? It'd be a lot of fun. And we hung out. And about two years later, we got married. So thank you, Diana. Yes, yes. Um, I haven't talked to Jason since. <laughs> he is dead to me. I have kicked him to the curb. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We're still buddies. But... Uh, I will only get certain advice from him. <laughs> advice. Advice. We all take advice from something. We all listen to someone, right? It's not a question of do you or don't you take advice. It's really a question of who do you take 
advice from. And maybe you've had a similar instance where you got some advice and it, was, it impacted your life in a huge way, maybe negatively, maybe positively, or, or usually it's just the daily stuff we're going to or going through where we're asking people, hey, what would you do or could you help me with this? And that's usually based on the people that we surround ourselves with, the people who are kind of doing life with us. They are the people who are helping us make our decisions every day. And I want you to think about this, who those people are, who we listen to, who we take advice from, who influences us, that's who's going to determine who we become and what we do with our life. First question I want you to think about is who are you? Who are you? The answer to that question is sometimes scary. We think of all the stuff that makes us who we are, our actions, our behaviors, our attitudes, um, experiences, all this stuff. And we think, in order to change all this stuff, I have to change all these things about me. But what if changing who I am is, is deeper? What if changing who you are is really changing who you hang around, who you listen to? My second question, who are you listening to? That's really the question because how you answer that question, who you listen to, determines how you answer the first question, who you are. Because who you are is based on who you surround yourself with, who you listen to. So really, it's one of the most important questions we have to answer is who am I listening to? Who am I listening to? This is a lesson we learned from a guy named Solomon. Solomon is one of the, one of the more interesting people in the Bible, I think. And he wrote one book called Proverbs, which is full of wisdom on how to live your life. And then he lives his life, and he writes another book called Ecclesiastes, which is more how not to live your life, right? How not to live your life. And I like how Ben referred to it as more of Solomon's journal. He's at the end of his life, and he's just writing things down like, hey, listen up. I've been there, done that, lived to tell about it. And we're calling this series How to Wreck Your Life because I don't think we need help, right? Um, I'm sorry, this, we're calling this series Five Easy Ways to Wreck Your Life, not Five Ways How to Wreck Your Life, because we don't need help figuring out how, right? We just need to be reminded these are five easy ways that anyone can fall into. Even Solomon, one of the wisest people to have ever lived. And that's the first bit of good news. He's one of the smartest, one of the wisest men to ever have lived, second only the, to Jesus, but he falls into these easy ways and wrecks his life. But the good news is we get to learn from it. We get to learn from it. Right? That's what the book of Ecclesiastes is. It's Solomon saying, listen up, been there, done that, live to tell about it. That's Solomon's story. And that's actually Daryl Strawberry's story too. Been there, done that, live to tell about it. And he's going to share that story with us next week. So make sure you're here and bring someone because this is a modern-day Ecclesiastes story that we can learn from. And I don't know about you, but these are the kind of people I like to learn from. I really pay attention because consequences are a great teacher. And I want to learn from people who have failed, experienced the consequences, and then learn from it so I can learn from it. So let's take a look at what we can learn from Solomon, his wisdom, his life, and then the consequences that he experienced. As I said, Solomon wrote this, um, wrote Proverbs. It's a collection of sayings of wisdom that God had given him. And here's what we learn about advice. Proverbs 13, 20 says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Surround yourself with wise people, you will become wise. Surround yourself with fools, you're going to get hurt. Sounds simple. Sounds simple. But what if we don't do that? What if we don't do that? What if instead of surrounding ourselves, uh, we cut ourselves off? Well, here's what Solomon says about that in Proverbs 18, 1. It says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Isolate yourself from others, and you're going to end up following your own desires. And it's probably not going to be 
wise. So these are two simple truths. Don't isolate yourself. Surround yourself with people. And surround yourself with the right people, wise people. The problem is, for people like me, many of us, we don't always do this. These are two simple truths that we don't always follow. We don't always take advice from the right people. We reject wisdom. And then sometimes we don't let people into our life to get to know us, to get to know what's really going on. We isolate. We isolate. And isolating yourself is a very easy way to wreck your life. It's a very easy way to wreck your life. Solomon's life is proof. Although he was extremely wise, he had all this wisdom, he lived like a fool. He ignored all the wisdom that he knew about marriage. Some of his wives specifically led him away from worshiping God. He ends up building these um, altars to pagan gods. So he, he's completely veered off course from following God. And during this time, he writes this, uh, he experiences uh, all these things because he has this void in our life. And he writes about him in Ecclesiastes, how he chased pleasure, money, possessions, success, attention, love, all these things he writes about in Proverbs and why it's stupid to chase them, but then he lives a life completely opposite to what he knew was wise. How does this happen? Like, how does a person who's really wise like that live a completely different life? How does a guy who's surrounded by people, right? Solomon is king. He, he probably has advisors. He probably has generals. He probably has people that are consulting him, helping him run uh, this nation. How is it that he ends up just ignoring all of them and chasing his own desires? How do we go from the Solomon we, we think we know in Proverbs to the Solomon we find in Ecclesiastes? How does that happen? According to Proverbs 18.1, we isolate ourselves. We cut ourselves off. We don't let people in to our world and let them know what's going on and give us wisdom, give us guidance. Isolation is not allowing yourself to be known, really known, not allowing yourself to be influenced. And isolating yourself is a very easy way to wreck your life. And his life is proof that cutting yourself off, rejecting wisdom, it doesn't go well. It doesn't go well. It might lead to you chasing your desires, which might lead to a lot of fun stuff, right? A lot of things that look fulfilling, but in the end, they don't live up to their hype and you're left empty, you're left hurt, and other people around you are probably going to be hurt. And I've experienced this. I'm, I'm someone who can isolate. I can withdraw. I can close myself off, not really take advice not allow people into my world, to what's going on inside Andy. Right? My fears, my struggles, my issues, doubts, sins, I can isolate. And when I think of all the dumb, wrong, sinful, hurtful things I've done, I can trace it back to when I was starting to isolate myself, cut myself off, and I allowed my desires to take over. So since we're talking about letting people in, I'll let you in, okay? Anger has always been something that I have struggled to deal with in healthy ways. Now, some of you are like, what? You're like surprised by that. Others of you have seen me play dodgeball or spend a lot of time around me. So <laughs> I can get irritated and annoyed and frustrated just like anyone can, right? And feeling those things isn't bad. It's normal. It's not wrong. But usually we can let things go or we can work through them or hash things out. And that's, that's the right thing to do. The right thing for me to do when I start feeling that way is to talk about it. Get it out in the open, right? Not isolate myself, but let myself be known. Uh, it really bothered me you said that in front of everyone. It, really, it really, uh, really irritated me that you assumed that about me or you expected that of me and you didn't, we weren't communicating. I can't believe everyone's making fun of me in their sermons and these ball jokes. It's irritating. But that's not what I always do. I don't always do that. Instead of making myself known and letting it out, I keep it in. And it starts to simmer. 
and I start to get more upset. And I play out these like scenarios in my mind and I have these fake arguments and all of a sudden I'm starting to feel resentment and I'm starting to feel bitterness and I'm very angry. And then all of a sudden someone says or does something tiny and it all just comes out. It all just erupts and words are exchanged and people are hurt. And it started with isolating myself. It could be a lot of things. It could be temptations we experience. And, and we come across these temptations, and instead of telling someone, hey, I'm really struggling with this, we don't. We isolate ourselves. We keep it in. And that never works because eventually it's going to grow and we're going to give in. It could be desires we have that we know are wrong. And instead of admitting them to someone else, anyone, we isolate. We cut ourselves off, and that often leads to worse thoughts, worse desires, and then actions, and then possibly destruction. It could be attitudes we have, resentment, fear, worry, whatever it is. We don't share that with anyone. We isolate, and then they grow, and they get worse and worse over time, and those attitudes will then start to change how we behave and act, and we will do things we never would have imagined because we isolate. Nothing good comes out of isolation. Why is that? Because God didn't create us for isolation. God created us for intimacy. He created us for community. A professor I had says, we were created to be known and to know others. It's ingrained in who we are. It's all about being known. Intimacy is the opposite of isolation. When God created the physical universe, he stopped and he said that each thing was good. He looked at it. He was happy. He was pleased. It was exactly what he wanted. But when he made human beings, he stopped and he said one thing wasn't good. It is not good when people are alone. We require companionship, relationship, intimacy. We were not meant to do life on our own, not be known, isolated, separated from others. We need people's help to navigate life. Solomon learns this from his experiences in life. And here's what he says in Ecclesiastes 4. He says, two are better than one because they uh, have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. His own experiences tell him it is not good to be on your own, to be isolated. Together we're better. We're helpful and we're help. Two are better than one. Three is better than two. Right? When we're together, we are greater than the sum of our parts when we're in community. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, have I isolated myself? Have I cut myself off from people? Am I known? I think a lot of us would say, no, I'm, I'm surrounded by people. Look at this room. It's full of people. Right? I, have a, I have like a thousand Facebook friends. A thousand Facebook friends. I'm in a small group. I'm part of a serve team. Um, I'm outgoing. I'm an extrovert. Right? The truth is we can be around people all the time, and we can still be living an isolated life. Think of these questions. Is there anyone I can call and I can ask, hey, what has been going on in his life the past month? What has she been going through the last month that she's really struggling with? Who knows the worries, the fears that keep you up at night? Who's walking through your temptations with you, helping you uh, understand your weaknesses, pointing you to Jesus? Who knows your mess? Who knows your secrets? If no one comes to mind, if you can't name a person, you are isolated. You're isolated. Now, I fully understand the safety that comes along with not letting people in. 
It's, a, it's an image of being safe, not being known, because it's risky to make yourself known, to be vulnerable, to be open to other people. You open yourself up, and that scares us. This is a common fear, but it's not the way it's supposed to be. This is not how God designed the world. Originally, God created a world where people could be with him, they could be known, they could be vulnerable. And in Genesis 2.25, it says, they were naked and they felt no shame. Naked meaning fully exposed, uh, fully known, vulnerable, who they were. Everything about them was just out, right? They were unashamed about it. They were fully known and unashamed. Let me ask you, if you were fully known, everything about you, your actions, your behaviors, your thoughts, your uh, secrets, everything just out in the open for everyone to know, would you be unashamed not me. I'd feel shame. I think I'd move to Canada, right? <laughs> Take some of you with me. I'm sure we would all experience shame. This is a universal experience that also dates back to the beginning. A couple verses later, after it's all good, something goes wrong. People sin. They sin. They reject God. They end up going their own way. That's what sin is. It's, it's a rejection of him. They follow their desires. And so now they are separated from God because of this. And they, and they sin and they experience shame because of this. Because we sin, we have shame. And you know what our reaction is when we have sin and we have shame in our life? It's to hide. It's to not let people see that side of us. And that's exactly what Adam and Eve, these first people, did. Genesis 3 tells us they sin. They instantly feel shame at being exposed and vulnerable. So they cover themselves up. And then God is coming, and so they hide from him. And when asked why, Adam says, I was afraid because I was naked. I was exposed. I was found out. Hiding is another way of saying isolate. We isolate. We hide our true selves because we're scared of other people finding out the truth about us. We don't want to be exposed. We, want, we don't want to be revealed as not perfect. We don't want to be revealed as sinners. We don't want to be revealed as people who don't live up to expectations or don't act the way we ought to act. So we isolate ourselves because we have the shame in our life. But again, this is not how it's supposed to be. A couple verses later in Genesis, right after this all happens, right? It was good. Now it's broken. God makes a promise in Genesis 3.15 where he basically says, I'm going to fix this. And ultimately, he, this promise is fulfilled by Jesus when he comes. Jesus, he comes and he lives the life that all of us are meant to live. An unashamed life, a perfect life, a faithful life. Yet he goes to the cross bearing our sin. And Jesus becomes a sacrifice where he takes the punishment. He takes the sin and he dies on the cross. And then three days later, he rises to life proclaiming, I have defeated sin. I have defeated death. So by believing in Jesus, we can experience all the benefits of his perfect life his death, and his resurrection. Because of Jesus, there is now forgiveness of sin, this thing that separates us from God, this thing that makes us feel ashamed is forgiven, which means we are free from shame and we are no longer separated from our God, which is why Romans 5.1 says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justified means because of our faith, it's just as if I'd lived Jesus' life and died his death. I'm free from my sin. I'm free from shame. I am reconciled to God. This is it. This is peace with God. And Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, you and God are good. There is no condemnation. There is no need to hide. He knows everything about you. He knows everything about you. And he doesn't reject you. He loves you. 
right? There is no need to fear. He knows the truth. He accepts us. This is great news. This is what we need since the very beginning. We need something that allows us to come out of hiding, something that allows us to be known, and Jesus is the one who gives it to us by getting rid of the sin that leads to all our shame, all our shame. That means that we, the church, right, we have this amazing message about grace and forgiveness, this amazing message about Jesus and what he did. And if we believe that message, you know what, think about this. This should be the safest place for people to come, to be open, to make themselves be known, to confess their sin, to talk about temptation, to allow other people into their life, to really know them. People should be able to do that here. It should be, and it can be because of Jesus. Do we always, do we always respond that way? No, no. But if we're people who believe the good news about Jesus and we are shaped by the good news about Jesus, we should be that and we can be that. We should be a place that does not condemn people because God doesn't condemn us. In fact, James, Jesus' half-brother, he encourages us to come clean with each other. He says uh, in 5.16, James 5.16, Therefore, confess your sins to one another that you, uh, and pray for one another that you may be healed. I would argue that along with prayer, allowing yourself to be known is what leads to healing. Because when you carry around all that shame, all that maybe self-hate, whatever it is that's just piling on that makes you not like yourself, and you can go to someone and you can admit your faults and your failures and your sin, and in response you find love, you find grace, no condemnation, that will heal a broken person. Absolutely. There are two sides to this. Because of Jesus, we can come out of hiding and we can make ourselves known without fear. And because of Jesus, we should be a place that allows people to come out of hiding without fear. Jesus allows us to come out of isolation, and Jesus makes this a place where people should come out of isolation. He gives us the grace to come out of hiding. And he gives us the, he gives us the church, which is a place where we should experience this grace through intimate, vulnerable relationships. Jesus gives us the grace, and the church should help people experience it. So here's the question. Are you in the right relationships where this can happen? Relationships where you can be known, really known, and receive wisdom and advice. Remember, who we listen to, the people we are taking advice from, that is going to determine who we are. So who are these people we should listen to? Well, Solomon didn't have them in his life, which is why his life went the way it was. But someone else did, his father. David, Solomon's dad, Solomon's father, was king before Solomon was king. And he is described as a man after God's own heart. Even though he had flaws, he had sin, he made all these huge mistakes. Both Solomon and David had these desires. They had failure, they had sin, but their stories of who they became are completely different. Completely different. I think part of the reason is because David was in intimate relationships. He was known. David had three key relationships that allowed him to stay focused on his relationship with God, um, connected him to others, to be known by others, to be vulnerable, and then to grow as a king, as a leader, and as a human being. And I think if we all have these three relationships, we can experience the same thing. There will be a lot less ruined, wrecked lives if we have these three relationships, right? And these relationships will help us come out of our mess that we create, help us find healing, help us grow as people, and help us grow as followers of Jesus. So these are the three friends we all need. You need someone who makes you better, someone who leads you spiritually, and someone who tells you the truth. Someone who makes you better. All right, before uh, David was king, 
Saul was king, and Saul was a horrible king. He had to go. So God finds a man named Samuel uh, to identify and, and find the next king of Israel. So Samuel visits David's father's house. And he thought the biggest, strongest son would be the next king. But when Samuel met David, God said, this is the one. And that was a shock to everyone, including David. But God used this man, Samuel, to help David see that he really was God's chosen one to be the next king, that he had a more significant life plan than thought possible. Samuel helped David see David the way God saw David. Samuel helped David see David the way God saw David. That's key. Having someone in your life who helps you see who you are in God's eyes, usually people see us through their own lenses. They see us through their own expectations. But Samuel saw David through a God lens. He saw potential. He saw a king. He saw a warrior. He saw something better than David was. And he helped him see that. Samuel made David better. Who makes you better? Who knows you? Who knows your strengths? Who knows your weaknesses? Who knows your dreams? Who challenges you to step out of your comfort zone, to maybe take on these challenges, to be the person God intended you to be? Who makes you better? Who leads you spiritually? David, before he was king, he struggled. He struggled becoming king. And this guy named Jonathan helps him find strength in God. During this journey, he has a lot of fears, he has a lot of worries, he has a lot of doubts, he has these moments of weakness, but Jonathan comes along and reminds him to find his strength in God, to trust him, to follow him, to obey him. That's incredible. For David to become king, he needed a friend to help him trust in God. He needed a friend, he needed a mentor, he needed someone spiritually leading him with Jesus, or with, with God. Jonathan led David spiritually. Who is leading you spiritually? Who is the person who points you to Jesus? Who is affirming what God says about you? Who helps you trust? Who helps you have faith? Who helps you understand how to follow Jesus? Who's that person? A lot of people think this is a pastor. Pastor is a a, a spiritual leader, but this is someone who knows you. This is someone who really knows you and can help you and understands how you tick, right? Who is spiritually leading you? Someone who tells you the truth. Finally, when David was king, Uh, He was very successful, but it led him to do uh, some horrible stuff, okay? While David was king, he has an affair. He gets a woman pregnant. He tries to cover it up. That doesn't work, so he has her husband killed. All very bad stuff, right? We're on the same page? Okay, we're on the same page. All right. So David finds himself um, not following God's plan for him, right? Way off path from what God called him to do. David is lost, David is way off course. So God sends a man named Nathan to come and to be real and to be honest and kind of slap David around a little bit, right? He he calls him out, which no one likes, but was absolutely necessary for David to be who David had to be, for for David to be who God wanted him to be. He needed a wake-up call. He needed honesty. He needed someone to get him back on track. Nathan was that guy. Nathan provided truth that David needed to hear to be um, a man after God's own heart, to deal with his errors, to deal with his sin. He needed Nathan. Nathan told David the truth. A lot of us, we surround ourselves with people who tell us exactly what we want to hear. But what we really need is people in our life who tell us the hard truths, the things we sometimes don't want to hear. Tell us the things we might forget about ourselves. Who tells you the truth? 
Do you have people who are honest with you, who know what's going on, really going on inside you, who can call you out, who have permission to tell you the hard truths? Who are these people in your life? On your way in, you should have gotten one of these cards. And on it, it has uh, the verse from Ecclesiastes, and then it has these um, lines that you can fill out with the people in your life who make you better, who lead you spiritually, and who tell you the truth, because all three of these people are needed. And this is small. You can carry it in your wallet. You can put it on your fridge, wherever you need to put it to remind you who these people are. And here's my challenge for you this week. Figure out who those people are and call them or have coffee with them or meet with them or whatever and tell them. Don't text them, okay? Tell them. Have a conversation with them and say, you make me better. You are the person I look to as a leader. You have permission to tell me the truth. A couple months ago, um, I came across these, these three questions. Who, who is it that makes you better, leads you? And I, I decided I need to identify these people in my life, and I need to tell them, right? So I decided to call, to call them and tell them. So I call my best friend, Chad, and uh, I tell him right off the bat, I'm like, hey, man, you are someone who makes me better. You're my best friend. You know me. You've been through all life's low points with me. You've never turned your back on me. You know what makes me tick. You know my weaknesses. You know exactly the right questions to ask to challenge me, right? You love me, and you make me a better version of myself. And it was a really incredible conversation. And I know when he heard it, it meant a lot to him. He said, I needed to hear that. And now he knows the role he plays in my life. And then he, he goes on to tell me basically a lot of the same things, and he affirms a lot of the same things in me. This is a guy who's my best friend. We probably talk like three times a year. And since that day, we talk every week. Every week we're talking now. I've told the guys who lead me spiritually the role they play in my life, how they've helped grow me grow in my faith, become where I'm at. Um, I've given permission to guys to be truth tellers. They get to lay it on me when I need it, right? Slife, our high school youth group, did this very activity one night. We talked about this, and then we spent most of the night calling people, identifying um, the better, the leaders, the truth tellers, and then they called them and they told them, this is who you are to me. These discussions are key in creating more intimacy in these relationships, helping us come out of hiding because nothing good comes out of isolation. Everything good comes out of intimacy. By making these calls, grabbing coffee, whatever you need to do, you're going to be stepping out of isolation. You're going to be giving someone permission. You're going to be making yourself known, allowing someone to give you wisdom. And those are two ways, Right? that if we just follow them, we won't wreck our lives. That's what Solomon teaches us. If we just do these two things, we don't isolate ourselves and we accept wisdom, we will be better off. Less people will be hurt, we'll, uh, we won't be as hurt, and our lives will be lived much better. So what if you're someone, you don't have these people in your life, you're, you're struggling to think of these people. What you really need to do is put yourself around people so you can develop these relationships. First, if you're joining us online, why not check us out in person? You know, we're glad you're part of the weekend. We created the online campus for you. Um, but River Glen is so much more than a weekend service. It's people. So come check us out. Come check us out. Also, small groups are where a lot of these key relationships start. Until we're in a community connected to other people in relationships, we're really just part of a crowd. We need to go from crowd to community. Joining a small group is an important step coming out of isolation because it allows you to be known. It allows you to be known, and you can start to receive wisdom. And I know I wouldn't have many of the relationships that I need without small groups. 
One guy, Brandon Stevenson, right, former pastor here at River Glen, former friend until he moved. Um, I'm just kidding. He's still my friend. He's still my friend. Um, but we didn't, we, our relationship didn't start when I started working here. We were in a small group together for years, and our relationship grew into what it needed to become to really help me navigate life and navigate ministry, right? Without him, I wouldn't be here. If you're not in a group, consider Thursday night group. It's a new series group that meets here at River Glen, um, out by the fireplace. This is a great starting point if you've never uh, been in a group. For some of you, though, there's a different first step that you have, to, you have to have before you can really come out of isolation. You are isolating yourself because you have shame and because you have fear of being found out. Jesus is the answer to that fear and to that shame. Jesus frees us from our sin, our shame. He accepts us. He loves us. He shows us grace. Have you accepted that grace? Because it will change your life. The offer of forgiveness of sins will change your life. Romans 3.12 says that we've all gone astray. We've all wandered. We've all gotten lost. We've all sinned. We've all rejected God. That's what it is. We reject God at a certain level. And Jesus offers us forgiveness from it, healing from it, reconciliation to God, and then eternal life, real life. So what you need to do is stop trusting in yourself, in your own efforts to try to fix your life or try to get right with God. It's not going to work. And start trusting what Jesus has done for you and start resting in it, trusting and believing that it was enough. Believe in him, be forgiven, and experience freedom from your shame. And then will you accept that offer? Will you declare it? Will you make it known? Jesus tells us to declare our faith through baptism. Baptism is this external symbol of something we believe internally. We do full, immer uh, full immersion baptism, so we go all the way under the water and we come uh, back up. And it represents uh, us identifying ourselves with Jesus' death, his burial, and then his resurrection, saying, I believe who Jesus is and I believe what he did for me. And it's a beautiful picture of what happens to us at a certain level, that cleansing, that washing away of sin. That's what baptism is. Jesus commands everyone who believes in him to be baptized. This isn't for those who are just new to faith. This is for anyone who believes in Jesus but has not chosen to be baptized. It's not something that can be chosen for you. It's something you need to choose. It's a personal thing. So choose to declare your faith. We have a baptism service coming up in two weeks. There are, um, there are baptism cards around you in the seat back, so you can fill that out. Maybe you have questions. Maybe you want to talk to someone. Maybe you're ready. Fill it out. Um, drop it off at the Welcome Center, and we will contact you. So in a moment, uh, the band is going to come up, and we're going to wrap up. And, and I think this is a good chance to really consider what do, what do we learn from Solomon? What do we learn from David about relationships, about intimacy? And are you isolated? Are you afraid of being known? Will you choose Jesus? Will you accept the offer of forgiveness for sin? freedom from shame? Will you make it known? Will you move from crowd to community? Will you, will you identify the people in your life, the people who make you better, lead you, tell you the truth? Will you have the conversation with them this week and let them know the role they play in your life? No matter who you are here, we all have a step that we need to take to move from isolation to intimacy and growing in Jesus. So what we're going to do right now, I'm going to pray and then uh, you spend the next couple minutes thinking, praying, whatever it is you need to do to identify your next step and take it. Let me pray. Father, we love you. Uh, you're so good to us. We just thank you for your mercy and your love and your forgiveness. Uh, we thank you for Jesus who 
He came and he lived the life we ought to live and he died the death that we don't have to die because of him. We can be free from our sin and just come out of hiding. We can be known. Um, Give us the courage to do that. Also, make this a place where people can be known. Make this a community that allows people to discuss hard things, personal things, make ourselves known. Help people get healed through relationships in this church. We love you. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name. Amen.